Good morning. Romans chapter 13, verses 7 and 8, just two verses this morning as we talk about debt. Maybe a topic you've not heard in church before, but let's talk. Debt and a desire for freedom. Hear then the Word of God. Paul writes and he says in verse 7, Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. For we know it is living and true. And we long for our lives to be conformed to it. To experience all the good things that it describes and promises. We long for you to work in our lives. We long for you to be present in power, even as you bring your word to us. So speak. Your servants are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The context of the two verses we just read is this Christian responsibility to the state, to the government, some things that we owe, obligations that we have. But those obligations, as he expresses them here, are expressed very broadly as broad principles. He's applying them to government, but what he is saying is much bigger than that. He says in verse 7, it opens up with the statement, pay to all, to everyone, what is owed. In verse 8, he starts out by saying, owe no one anything. Right? Those are very broad statements. Now, he applies it in certain ways, but it has very broad application. Christians are to fulfill their obligations of every kind, and we see that those obligations aren't just financial. They are financial, but they're also relational. We see that because in verse 7, when he applies to give everything, it's taxes and revenues, but it's also respect and honor. And we see in verse 8, when he says, oh, no one anything, he ends up moving on talking about, except uh, to love one another, that you owe each other that. And it, it, so he speaks relationally and very practically. So there is finances, there is relational application to this idea that we have obligations and we should fulfill those obligations. We should give to everyone what we owe them, what they deserve from us, what we have promised to them. But we should do this in every area of life. See, you and I are called to a faithfulness and integrity in every sphere. In our relationship to the government, But our relationships in the church, our relationships in our marriage and in our homes, our relationships at work, our relationships at school, depending on what our context is, we owe God and we owe to each other an obligation to faithfulness and integrity. So Paul says, owe nothing and pay everything. Owe nothing and pay everything is essentially what he's saying. We have obligation to our employers. We owe our employer a certain amount of our time and our attention, our diligence, right? We should be the best workers in a sense at work. We have an obligation. They've given us a job and they have uh, pay us a certain amount of money and we owe them whatever hours we've agreed upon. And not just the hours. I know people who put in the hours, but their attention and their work 
In some contexts, you see people who want to do as little as possible while they're at work. But we owe them our work, our time, our attention, our diligence to pay, in a sense, what we owe. They pay us money and we pay them in those things. We should be the best. We have obligations. You know, I made promises to my wife one day. And I owe her, in a sense, I'm obligated to fulfill those things, those promises. What I owe her, I owe them to her because I promised them to her. And so many of us made promises to the people around us. And you owe faithful fulfillment of our obligations to pay what we owe. And so this applies in every area of life, both relationally and financially. God is putting his finger on all of this kind of faithfulness in our obligations. But today, let's talk about money. Maybe next week, we'll, next time, we'll talk about relationships. So today, let's talk about money because he does hit that topic, and that is a topic that runs not only through this, but all of Scripture, and specifically the role of debt in the Christian life. Because Paul says, pay to all what you owe them, and you should not owe anyone anything except to fulfill your obligations to love one another. See, the interesting thing is Americans love debt. Americans love debt. Plastic money, right? It, it's, you know, I, I, we're given this thing. The whole country, our, literally our whole country runs on debt. Do you know what our national debt is right now? It is over $30 trillion dollars. Right, I remember, I'm old enough to remember when we were hitting 16, 17, and everybody was freaked out, you know, how much money we owed, how are we ever going to pay it back, how are you going to balance the budget and get out of debt, you know, and start being responsible with the way, you know, but we just keep spending money, money we do not have. Do you know that the third highest spending category in the budget, we spend money on the military, we spend budget on social programs, and the number three thing that we put that we spend money on as a country is interest. $400 billion a year we pay in interest. What about us as the American people? Do you know that the average American owes over $6,000 in credit card debt at a 20-something percent interest? The U.S. total credit card debt is $841 billion. 1.5 million Americans file bankruptcy every year. 41% of Gen Xers and 29% of boomers who get divorced say the reason for their divorce was money. But here, I'm going to need to say it right up front then as we move in number two there, is that debt is not sinful. Based on these verses and a few other verses, I have heard it taught basically that Christians should not be in debt. It's sinful. That you should owe, as he says, no, no, don't owe anybody anything. And I understand where they're coming from, and I I see that in here, but I don't believe that it is sinful. Let me just walk you through a few texts of Scripture that I, I think puts this in context. We let Scripture interpret Scripture to give us context to things. In Exodus 22:25, it says, if you lend money to any of my people, so you got his people borrowing money and his people lending money. What God's against is usury and an oppressive level of interest. 
of putting it on people. But he says, if you lend money to any of my people who is poor, you shall not be to him like a money lender, which is also going on. And you shall not extract interest from him. Those who need to can borrow money. He's saying, if you, if you lend to any of my people, you know, if the people are poor, and there are people that have no options, perhaps, but to borrow money to do certain things. In Deuteronomy 15.8, it says, you shall open your hand and you'll lend to him sufficient for his need. And it's so there's this generosity that says that we should be willing to help. And then it says, whatsoever, whatever it may be. So in Psalm 37, 25 and 6, it says this. We all know the first one, 25, or a lot of us do, and then, but we don't always read the next verse. But it says, I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Praise be to God. Right? I've never seen the righteous forsaken. God doesn't forsake his people. He loves his people. He is faithful to us. And so we've not seen his children begging for bread. But he, the righteous, is ever lending generously. And his children become a blessing. The righteous are generous. And they lend and they give. And sometimes we give when we're able to and others need it. And sometimes there's a place to lend to help people out of a of, of situation. Matthew 5.42, Jesus says, Give to the one who begs, give, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Right? So there he's talking again about giving and borrowing. Jesus says, don't refuse. So the point of our text is not that you can never borrow. The point of our text is this, never leave your debts unpaid, is what he is saying. Fulfill your obligations. Pay your debts. Be honest, full of integrity. Do the right thing. Pay what you owe. And so with that, we can say that debt can be a wise and useful tool. I've done, you know, one of the classes in Crown Ministry. I'll talk about that in a minute. And uh, we did uh, Financial Peace University. They're both very similar, of, of teaching Christians how to think about and understand their money biblically and then how to organize their lives uh, to live faithfully to God according to his principles as we handle money and seek to steward it for his glory and the good of our family but also of his kingdom. And in there, you can lose, they talk about the fact that there's such a thing as good debt. Good debt. How many of us would own a house if you didn't have debt? Very few people can buy a house with cash. I'm not one. Maybe you are. But a house has value. Value may go up or down. It usually appreciates. Lately, it's been appreciating. Praise God. Right, so they, there's a house, and you can ultimately sell your house at some point. It's a, it, it becomes an asset that you have, or you may pay off your debt and live free in your house because you own it if you paid it off. Right, cars are a, an investment. They say good debt are like houses, cars, education. Cars get you to work where you make money to pay your debt on your car, but everything else. And without a car, you can't get to work, and so it's good debt to have a car. It's not wrong if you don't have the cash on hand, or education can be a good debt. Some of the passages indicate the poor have no choice. Early in our marriage, we were home missionaries, uh, working with InterVarsity and raising our own support, and I don't know why at the time it seemed like they had us, you know, they set your budget, we, you know, and we raise it, uh, but it was like poverty level. Like, we barely scraped by, and when we first got married, and Daniel was... Uh, um, um, 
diagnosed with asthma, and we found that we had to put his medicine on the credit card for a while. And we racked up a little bit of debt, you know, along the way, but it wasn't being frivolous. It literally was buying medicine for our children. And at that point, we were pretty poor. That happens. That's not necessarily good debt, but it's necessary debt at times. There's that positive debt with the house and There's education debt. If it's done wisely, it pays for itself. It can be a step to get you ahead. Done poorly, where you owe so much for your education debt that you never get out from under it your entire career because you don't have a career that will pay for the amount of money you spend on your education. But there are ways to do that that are cheap. We just have to be able to choose the wise way to get an education without being burdened with a lifetime of debt. All of this I'm saying is there, there is there is ways to use debt. Some people use debt to reap rewards, right? They use a credit card to pay their expenses because there are rewards for using your credit card, but pay it off every month. And so you have no interest, right? If you do that, the credit card is actually paying you to use the credit card. You've got to pay it off every month. If you can't pay it off every month, don't do it, or you're going to be paying them through the nose. Right? But, but if, if you can, then it actually pays you to use the card. So there are, there are ways to use debt wisely. It is not wrong to use debt to get by in life and to help us along and through particular things. But the problem with the credit card is that, and other forms of debt, is that it can enable greed. Right? The love of money and all that it can buy. Right? And this is one of the problems with American credit card debt and other forms of debt. Some of us will borrow money that we don't have to pay for things that we don't need and cannot afford. I need a vacation. Do you? Right? Is it the right thing or I need? You know, what happens is that we live in a culture where, you know, especially with social media, social media stokes the fires of covetousness. I see your family at the beach. I want my family to be at the beach. I don't have any money to go to the beach. We're going to the beach. And I'll be paying for it for the next eight years. Debt debt can be a way to take what God has not given. See what I'm saying? What God has not provided, I can take it because I want it even though I can't afford it. We indulge in excess because we can. John Murray says, this cannot be taken to me. John Murray, a pastor theologian on this text, says this cannot be taken to mean that we may never incur financial obligations. But it does condemn the looseness with which we contract debts, that we, that we take on debt. And particularly the indifference that's so often displayed in discharging them, in paying them back, in getting out of debt, meeting our financial obligations. And that should be a very sober and careful thing to make sure that we can pay back and we do pay back in such a way that it doesn't burden my budget and my life and shackle me. So in verse 8, Paul says, don't owe anyone anything 
The New American Standard says it this way, uh, translates it as, render to all what is due. I like the NIV where it says, let no debt remain outstanding. And I think that gets at the, the meaning of the text. Let no debt remain outstanding. Don't owe anyone anything because you paid them back. Let no debt remain outstanding except the debt of love. You'll never pay that back. Right, and we'll talk about that another time. Simply put, it says pay your debts. If you borrow money, you've got to pay it back. If you don't pay it back, it's a form of stealing. Right? And as he moves on in verse 9 and, and talks about and some of the application of this in love, and he lists some commandments that are loving, not committing adultery and, and not stealing, and, and borrowing money and not paying it back is a form of stealing. It's not sinful to borrow, but it is sinful to not pay it back to not honor our debts and to have integrity. And I've seen Christians who have used their credit card to live a lifestyle they can't afford. Trying to keep up with the, the, what everybody else is doing and feel that it, we're entitled to the same things. We're Americans, all, after all. See other people enjoying luxuries and vacations and things that we can't afford and we use debt as a way, again, to take what God has not given, go beyond pro, pro, his provision. It's an exercise in greed. And it's not uncommon then to see people rack up that credit card debt, multiple cards, because they have limits, and then declare bankruptcy. 1.5 million Americans every year to not pay back your debts. I'm not saying there's not a place for bankruptcy and could talk about that, but I could say this. If it's a result of irresponsible handling of debt, it, it's a moral issue. We should not use debt as a way to steal. R.C. Sproul says it this way. He says, when Christians incur debt, they, above all others, must move heaven and earth to honor the obligation as a matter of principle and conscience. If you owe somebody something, you pay what you owe. Pay your bills and pay them on time. If you enter into a contract, you fulfill the terms of the contract. This is basic integrity, that you pay what is owed and you owe nothing. That's what the scripture calls us to. Faithfulness in these dealings. Psalm 37.21, it says this, that the wicked borrows and does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and he gives. And so here we see the psalmist reminds us it's not only not enough to not be in debt over our head or to such a degree that it, that it, that it eats our margins and shackles us in terms of our ability, but we should live in such a way and manage our debt in such a way that we have the ability to be generous and to be givers as far as God enables us to do it. And I know there's a certain amount of that that's not in our control, but there's a whole lot of it that is. He reminds us that borrowing isn't wrong, but the ideal for the righteous is to pursue a life of both integrity and in paying it back, but ultimately of generosity. That's the, the scriptural ideal. Rather than taking and spending more than we can afford, is to spend less than we can afford so that we have extra and we can be generous people. This is the idea in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 28, where he's, Paul says this in a long list of things he's calling us to and applying chapters 1 to 3. He says this, let the thief steal no longer. Let the person who's borrowing money and not paying it back, stop it. 
or just taking things that aren't yours. You know, let the thief steal no longer, right? Thou shalt not steal. But rather, it's not just don't steal, right? His thing is rather you should labor, you should work hard, you should do honest work, you should do what you need to do. Not only that you're not in debt and you don't have to steal, but so that you may have something to share with anyone who's in need, right? The, the, the ideal for the Christian is not just to not be in debt or to have to borrow, but the goal is to be generous. And that actually means some sacrifices in our lifestyle. You know, we, we may not be able to keep up with everybody else. They may be able to afford that. Maybe they can't, and that's another problem. But maybe they can't, and they are still got margin, and they're still generous, and they're still, and God has blessed people in that way. But I can't keep up with them. So for my life, there are, there are choices that we have to make to live within our means to spend less than we make. Right? That's just a common, I think, principle of life would be spend less money than you make. What's left is called margin. And so my clock up here isn't working. I'm on my last point. Finally then, that is not desirable. And it's a form of slavery. Right? Even though debt is allowable, it's not desirable. Do you want to be in debt? Like, do we want to owe people money? This is the thing, too. Like, just as being a slave is not sinful, if you find yourself in slavery, it's not, sin- the sa- it's not the slave that's in sin. But it's not sinful to be a slave, but neither is it desirable. And it says that, Psalm, Proverbs 22, verse 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave to the lender. And it's not saying you can't borrow money. It's just saying you need to understand the relationship when you're the one in debt. That when you borrow, you are now in a position, you are legally bound to those people. The money collectors can come after you. If it's the government, there are a lot of different ways, right? But it's saying that it's created a relationship where you're bound. And a certain amount of your income now has to go to them, not just to pay back, but interest. There's very few places in the world is lending you money for free. So the issue isn't only that I'm spending more than I have. I'm actually spending money to borrow that money. And I have to pay it back. And so not only am I paying back what I lost, I'm I'm losing more money that I could be using somewhere else because it's in interest. The government spends $400 billion a year just to pay the interest on money it's already spent and is no longer enjoying. Debt is a form of slavery. It shackles and weakens the Christian life. Sometimes I've already been through it. Sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes we had to do what we had to do. But our goal was always to get out of debt as quickly as possible. And we had a goal. I heard, did hear a sermon like this early in my Christian life. And we had a goal that we wanted to be generous. And the only way to do that was to get control of our life and to get to the place where we had the margin. That's a form of slavery. And we want to live free. We want to be faithful and generous, which is the ideal. So one of our goals should be, in my humble opinion, one of our goals should be to be debt-free, even though it's not necessarily a sin to be in debt or to owe on your house or a car. But one of my goals in life is to be out even under from all those debts. To owe no one anything, as Paul says. 
to be free from the bondage of debt entirely. And now that may be difficult and impossible, and I understand that, but I can tell you this, if you don't make it one of your goals, you'll always be in debt. And, it, and in making it one of your goals to be out of debt, you're going to start making choices of how to do that. When I pay off my car, instead of getting a new car and start paying all over again, I drive that car. And the money I owed on that car, and I don't have to pay anymore because I paid it off, I start paying off all my other debts. Or if I don't have other debts, I start saving it so that when this car dies, I can buy another car with cash. If I, if I paid five years and paid off my car, if I save that same money for five years, I'll have cash to buy a car and I won't have to pay the interest. Thousands of dollars in my pocket. We have to adjust our lifestyle to pursue financial freedom, to be in a position. And that's a matter of faithfulness and stewardship and using the things that God has given us and thinking wisely about how to get there. We have to adjust our lifestyle for financial freedom, to be in a position not only to fully tithe, and I know a lot of people who don't fully tithe because they're financially so strapped. But part of that has to do with choices that we're making in the way that we're spending money, God's money, instead of living the kind of lifestyle making the choices that free me up not only to tithe faithfully and regularly, but then on top to have margin to be generous and to give to other worthy causes and to people who may need, you know, not upgrading your car, not upgrading your phone, not upgrading your house. You know, there are times that just, it don't have to be bigger and better all the time. And it frees up money. But if every time we get a little more money, we upgrade the car. Now, I don't have a little more money. <laughs> you know, I get a little more money and I upgrade my house. Now, I don't have any more money. Right? And I get a little more money. I upgrade my phone and now I don't have any more money. Like, what do we do with the money God gives us if we just keep in increasing our lifestyle? Bigger and better and spending, as opposed to what does faithfulness look like? You can go to a 15 year mortgage and pay it off early, save tens of thousands of dollars in mortgage. Do I get to it later? I do. Debt is a stewardship issue. Faithfully managing God's money to the best of my... All I'm talking about is what I think is a very biblical thing, which is managing God's money that he's put in our care and stewarding it and managing it wise in ways that both serve my family and bless my family, uh, but honor and glorify him and his purposes and his kingdoms. Because some of the goals not only is to meet the needs of my family, but the Christian life is one of love and services to Jesus and his purposes. Right, to the, to the advancement of the gospel and his kingdom and his work in this world. And where is God's money? It's in your pocket. And the question is, what are we doing with it? Are we investing it wisely? Are we using it the way God intends it to be used? Are we in control of our finances and handling them purposefully to be out of debt and to have margin and to give to God's kingdom and to have margin and to be generous? But to be out of debt, you have to spend less than you make. That's the only way to do it. Spend less, create margin, have enough. It's interesting in Matthew 23, 25, when Jesus says that you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, and we, we polish up the outside. 
And, and it's interesting what he says is the problem inside. And he puts his finger on a couple of things, particularly as he's talking to his people, that sometimes we are polishing the outside of the cup, but the inside is full of what? And he could put a lot of things inside. But here are the things that he puts his finger on. This is a problem in the heart of his people. Greed and self-indulgence. That we live for ourselves in a way that's not healthy. Money is not the root of all evil. And borrowing, it's not wrong. But the love of money is, he says, the root of much evil. And to be free to fully serve Christ We have to be free from the love of money and the things that it can buy. Do we see that? To be free. Debt has a painful high cost. Interest robs us of margin. We're literally throwing money away. And unless we have to, we should not. Interest. Tens of thousands of dollars. Paying money to spend money that we don't have. Do you know your mortgage rate? Right now, home mortgage rate is 5.25% ish. It's rising, right? If you get a 30-year fixed loan on a house that's $320,000, do you know how much you'll pay for that house? More than double. You'll pay between $650,000 and $700,000 in the life of that loan. You'll have paid them over $350,000 in interest. I mean, that's interest, right? So, is there a way for me to trim my lifestyle, 15-year mortgage, and pay ahead? You know, I'm trying to pay ahead on my mortgage to get out from under it. Tens of thousands, maybe $100,000. You know, same kind of thing with our car. You pay at least in a typical car loan, two to $3,000, even though it's good debt. Both of these are good debt. That's your house and your car. There's good debt and the money that we invest. If the average, if you're an average American and you have $6,000 in a credit card debt, or even less, but $6,000 in credit card debt at an annual percentage rate of 20%. You pay that, it will take you 10 to 30 years to pay it off. If you make the minimum payment, you owe $6,000, you make the minimum payment, it'll be 10 to 30 years to pay it off, and it'll be 15 to $30,000 you paid them for that debt. And you can look all this stuff up. I understand you get the point. Here's the thing. I've seen people make minimum payment on the credit card, and they set it low enough that it actually doesn't cover the interest. And if you just make the minimum payment, the debt actually keeps rising. And so you've paid for five years, and you actually owe them more. Are we paying attention? Consumer lenders are predatory. Check into cash, sometimes payday and car loans, credit cards, cash advance, 20% interest and more are predatory. R.C. Sproul says this, the high, the interest rates routinely charged by credit card companies would clearly be seen as usurious, that is, usury, oppressively high interest rates that, that oppress and take advantage of people who are in need. Who are borrowing money from people like that at 20 and 30%? Desperate people, people in need. And it takes advantage of them, the price gouging that goes on. He says the interest rate charged by these companies would come under the judgment of God as usury. God allowed borrowing and lending so long as the lending and the borrowing were not exploitative and oppressive. That is dangerous and unwise, and we should be very careful and wise in assuming debt. Because debt hinders generosity. It hinders our life to accomplish the good things that God has for us. And the more we owe, the less we have, 
and the more we waste. The borrower is slave to the lender, and it's not sinful. But our goal in life should be to be free. To be free. So I'm going to say Crown organization. is. I did Crown, my wife and I, 20 years ago. We went through the class of Crown, and it literally changed our lives and changed the way that we see money, handle money, do money in the last 20 years of my life. And I would encourage you, there's Crown now. It's, crown, uh, it's crown.org. If you don't write anything else down today, to crown.org. And, and there are classes online. You can take their class. They have blogs and articles and all kinds of things that you can read, podcasts, there are those in the church who would be willing to counsel you and help you, but, but I believe that he calls us to freedom, that we should owe the least amount that we could possibly owe to anybody, and a goal in life should be generosity and freedom in the Christian life financially. Let me disclose with this, that the obvious and profound spiritual analogy is that you and I owed a debt we could never pay. You and I owed a debt that we could never pay, a spiritual debt under the judgment of God. We could never pay it. Our, our sin debt was literally a death sentence because we owed the wages of our sin is death. And so as Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says, you who were dead in your trespasses and sins under the weight of your debt, God made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven all of your trespasses canceling the record of debt that stood against us, right? Praise God, canceling the debt that was my death sentence and that shackled me and destroyed me. And, and the goal here is to be free. And the beautiful thing that God does is to cancel our debt, to get us out of debt. Why? So that we can live as the free children of God. Without the debt hanging over us or shackling our feet, Jesus died so that we could live debt-free. Spiritually speaking, he died so that we could live debt-free, that we could stand before God, not owing in that sense a life. Christ has paid the debt for me. The gospel is that Jesus went to the cross. He paid the highest price possible to set us free from our debt. And if you will put your faith and trust in Christ, your debt, that debt before God, that life that you owe him, he says, will be canceled, paid in full, no longer out under it. If we trust in Christ, we're free from our debt. And I believe he wants us to live that way in all of life. It is for freedom, Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And that's a spiritual statement, but I think it applies and goes as we should owe nothing to anyone. So, it is for freedom he has set us free so that we may live as the free children of God. While debt may be necessary, we should be pursuing freedom, faithfulness, and generosity. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. And I know even as I prepared this, there's a conviction in my own heart and there's a, there is a weight here. We live in a culture that is in love with debt, is enslaved to debt. And many of us may have See that we have work to do, and I pray that you would visit us with your mercy, that there would be here this morning as we repent, that we would know your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness. I pray that this would be the first day of the rest of our lives as we pursue freedom and generosity, as we live before you faithfully stewarding the good gifts you have given us. We ask and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.